So it was uh, the summer of 1987. I was 22. Uh, I just graduated from college. I was in the city one night with uh, a couple of buddies of mine. We were down at the uh, South Street Seaport. It's a place called uh, Jeremy's. Anybody? Oh. Remember those huge styrofoam cups they used? It's not relevant to today, though. It was a great place. Um, it was a fun night. We were heading home, and uh, it's maybe six of us, and we were making our way toward, uh, I guess, the subway. And uh, kind of out of the nowhere, out of nowhere, we get sort of surrounded. Maybe 10 or 12 guys, um, like within a second, like we, we were clueless, and then boom, these guys were like kind of around us and sort of closing in on us. And uh, we got beat up. Um, I did anyway, and um, got 13 stitches over my le left eye. Um, it's weird though, they didn't mug us, they didn't rob us, they just sort of beat us up, or not even all of us. I think I got the worst of it. Um, before we knew it, they were gone. It was crazy, it was just like, what? What just happened? I'm bleeding. They took me to the hospital that night, my friends. Anyway, uh, a couple of days later, three or four days later, I had an interview, job interview scheduled in the city. You know, and I looked like Rocky Balboa at this point. Um, big swollen eye, stitches, bandage over it. I looked crazy. Uh, it was obvious I had been in some kind of fight or I had been punched in some way. So now I'm like, what do I do? Do I... How do I go for an interview looking like this? You know, do I cancel it? Do I try to reschedule it? You know, I was in no position to be rescheduling interviews. You know, I needed them. They would, they would have been like, no, forget it. You know. So I kept the appointment. I went in, um, and I had the interview, and it actually went well, uh, really well. They asked me about the eye. I told them the story. I think in a weird way, it kind of worked to my benefit. Um, it just, I wasn't offered the job on the spot, but I, I looked very good the way they were, what they were, the way they were talking. They just said, uh, expect a call. We'll be in touch in the next couple of days. I was psyched. I was very excited about this particular job too. Uh, my, my degree from college was a, uh, kind of a sort of an interesting degree is uh, called industrial and labor relations which mostly means for most grads you go work for a company you know some business some corporation and you get involved with uh, HR you know your personnel um, and that's generally what I they, that's what I was interviewing with these companies but this one was different this one uh, this was with the city of New York and it was I guess it was like their labor relations division so what this job would have involved was um, representing the city when you were negotiating contracts or s trying to avoid strikes. So you'd be dealing with, you know, the police union and the fire department and sanitation. It just, it looked like a really interesting job. Um, so I was very excited. 
and I never got the call. Um, I waited about a week, then I called them, and they were still really positive. They were like, no, you know, we haven't forgotten you. Uh, and I, I don't know what the explanation was, but we just gotta, we gotta work out some more stuff, but we will be in touch and be patient, which is what, totally what they communicated. And I never got it. Um, now, at this time in my life, kind of my whole life up to that point when I think about it, I was also thinking about being a priest. Um, I was always thinking about it to some degree, sometimes more than other times, but it always seemed to come back. When I'd be here at Mass, I'd be thinking, I, I, think, I, I think I might want to do that. Um, Strangely enough, or ironically enough, in college, I think, is when it kicked in most. Uh, that's usually, I think, when kids often kind of get away from faith and church. I kind of moved toward it. He was a great chaplain, priest chaplain on campus. I got to know him. I started just talking to him a lot. I had questions for the first time, you know, kids, my friends, classes I was in were challenging stuff that I had never even really thought a lot about. I'd always taken for granted as a Catholic kid. Sometimes they were making really good points, raising really good questions, so I was sort of like in this, man, does, should I be believing this? But, but I generally, I'd come back after the questioning and the doubting, I came back like, yes, I should be believing this. Came back even more, more strong. I really came to love the church. I mean, I always knew the church. I think I always sort of respected the church, but now I really came to love it. I think I loved like, kind of like the boldness of the church. I kind of got into reading about the martyrs, the ones way back in the beginning, but then also modern ones, 20th century martyrs. Thinking, man, like these people like, they went to the mat, like they, they lost their lives because they believed in this truth. And I was totally drawn to that. Not, you know, not to be a martyr, but just, I respected that, I loved that. Man, I think when we lose that, whether it's a church or a, or a nation or a family or individually, that's a scary place to be. If we stop defending truth, I mean, why is St. Patrick's Cathedral this morning probably gonna be a, a zoo of some kind? Why are there probably a crazy number of police around in and outside of the cathedral today? Because the church is preaching truth. We are communicating truth that the culture or elements of the culture don't wanna hear. And we're not gonna, we don't read the polls. We don't say, well, if enough people have a problem with this, we'll, we'll shift gears. We won't, we don't. And that's a great thing, and that's a necessary thing. I mean, the first reading this morning, Acts of the Apostles, all since Easter, the first readings have been from the Acts of the Apostles, which is like a record of the church right after Jesus is resurrected. It's the beginning of the church. And it's one of, People, it's St. Patrick's Cathedral. <laughs> different, different place, different time, same issues. The powers were saying, stop speaking this way, and they were like, no, we're not gonna stop because this is truth. So anyway, I, 
I loved that. And I was drawn to that. So I kind of always had like one foot in the idea of priesthood and maybe the other foot in like, yeah, I'm going to get a job and I'll get married and I'll have a family. And the plan was actually work a bit. And if I'm still thinking about this priest thing, well, then, I'll, then I'll pursue it. So it was kind of weird. I was like interviewing for jobs, but I'm also checking out, you know, how do you get in the seminary? Kind of <laughs> below the radar, underground, didn't want anybody to know. And in the course of that, I found out that I needed a bunch of philosophy credits, undergrad, like prereqs, to get in the seminary. Like almost like a year's worth, and I had no clue about that. So eventually I decided after a couple of months, that's what I was gonna do. And I went to St. John's that semester, the following semester, and took a ton of philosophy. And I got in the seminary, or I was accepted. So now it's a year later after that encounter in the city. It's the following August. And I've been accepted to the seminary. In fact, this was the day I was moving in. It was the end of August. Literally moving in. And I got that call. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. Sometimes I might, but I'm not exaggerating here. That morning, like my bags were packed and I got the call from New York City. I was like, are you kidding me? I, co I couldn't believe it. And they said, are you still interested in that position? And I was like, yes, but no. Yes, but I don't know. I, I wasn't, I didn't. And ultimately I, I said, I said, no. I said, no, I got, uh, I got other plans. In fact, I told them what the plans were. I said, no thanks. Fortunately, gratefully for me, I never really looked back. Um, sometimes you look back a little bit, right? You look back a little bit over your shoulder. I think we all do. You know, the life we've chosen, the commitments we've made. Hopefully, we're, hopefully, ultimately, we're committed to them. But hey, there's always that question like, man, what would it be like if I kind of went that way instead of that? I'm just thinking of that call that day, that phone call. Like, wasn't that crazy? <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, like, man, what if I had said yes? Yeah, I'll take the job. And say I did, did well with it. And maybe I'd be sitting over there. <laughs> I'd have like a bunch of kids in the parish that you'd be, be, be driving you guys crazy. And be like, probably cops being called. And I'm glad I said no. You know, they, uh, I remember reading this article about sheep and how sheep need a shepherd. They need, in a unique way, they need a shepherd because they don't have a, like a, what they call like a natural hierarchy. There's no natural like alpha male thing with sheep. You know, get two or three dogs in a house, one of them ine inevitably becomes the boss, the alpha. 
There's a hierarchy, not with sheep. They're not very smart. And this hierarchy thing just doesn't, isn't a part of who they are. So they really are kind of like lost. And they really do need an external shepherd, not one of them. Think about us. I mean, we create hierarchies all the time, don't we? Spend five minutes in a, in a schoolyard during recess. You can see the hierarchies everywhere you go. The athletes, the kids who are not, you know, the nerdy kids, the, you know, the kids who are, you know, the bookworms, the really popular ones, the not so popular ones, the strong, physically strong ones, fast ones. Eavesdrop on a conversation in a high school cafeteria or on a school bus, same thing. But it doesn't end with school, right? I mean, as adults, we do it, we do it just as much, just details change. Different hierarchies, how much money am I making compared to this person? How much clout does that give me? Where do I live, what do I do? Man, there's lots of shepherds. There's lots of shepherds that we listen to. Some good and, you know, some not. Who are the shepherds that really kind of call the shots in your life? Who or what are the main shepherds of your life? Like, that's an important question. Who and what influences you most? Well, this gospel and this church of ours says, yeah, well, it should be Jesus. The more we make him the ultimate shepherd, man, the better our lives are. You know, I, this week I'm going into, uh, down at the school, Long Beach Catholic, uh, talking to the third graders, and the teacher has them uh, write in advance these like questions to ask Father Brian. So it's hilarious, I love going in, you know. Some of the questions are just not to be believed. They can't, they just can't believe that Father Leo, Father Anthony, and I live in the same house. Like they just, last year they asked if we had bunk beds. <laughs> it was just, and they're like, and they're totally serious, like. But then you know what, inevitably the uh, questions get a little bit more serious. Like you get that stuff and then you're, like, then you're stunned by like a, a, a question of depth. Like did you hear, a, did you, uh, I guess they're, they're, they're taught like about like the notion of being called and how the, the shepherd calls us. So like I was called to the priesthood say. And then they asked like, well did you hear a voice? I'm like, yeah, I did. I heard my mother's voice and my father's voice like a, a thousand times over. Of voices of, that just communicated faith and the importance of God and the need to be in this place and the importance of this place kind of being Uninseparable, is that the word? From like our day-to-day -day lives. And it wasn't done in sort of like instructive ways, it was just sort of done. 
you know, we had first communions uh, yesterday at St. Mary's and the Saturday before at Ignatius. You know, at the, uh, at the Our Father, I have the kids around the altar, the second graders, and, you know, we pray the Our Father. I noticed this yesterday and the week before. As we're praying the Our Father, like, I don't know, 20, 25 kids. Some of them don't know the Our Father. I'd say most do, but maybe a quarter don't. I'm kind of like looking around without them seeing. And they look uncomfortable because they realize most do know it. It's cute, it's almost like they're trying, they, they fake it, they kind of move their lips like to make it look like they're. How could you be seven and not know the Our Father? How could you be seven and not know the Our Father? Well, real easy. If the shepherds aren't speaking the Our Father, how is a seventh grader, what is it, osmosis? How are they going to know the Our Father? I mean, I don't know about, I, I suspect most of you, your experience was mine. Like, I don't remember being taught my prayers. Like, I. Prayers were being said in my bedroom, and I didn't even know what they were, probably. I didn't know what the words meant. Somewhere along the line, I guess I started to memorize them, right? And then someone further along the line, it was like, yeah, this, this makes sense. Because of the voices of the shepherds in my life and yours. Who were your shepherds, you know, on this Mother's Day or next month on Father's Day? I ask you the question. Who were the shepherds who pointed you in the right direction? And maybe more important, how are you doing in the shepherd department? Do they know the Our Father? Of course they do. Well, some don't. So that phone call, that call I got from the city, I said no to the city, I think, and yes to the shepherd. I'm glad I said no. Sometimes no is yes.